Welcome to Catch the Fire London's podcast. We pray that you will be radically transformed as you listen to this message. Those of you who got it, uh, repent, submit, pursue. <laughs> um, I don't know what prompted Anne to ask, but she asked the two of them recently, when last did you have a holiday? Not just a visit to family. Because I know when we go to Cape Town, it's not a holiday. You, you're trying to see 6,000 people in three days, etc. The answer came back. It took about two days because I think they had to think about it. 2019. I think we can all say with confidence we've all had a stressful year. For one reason or the other. And these guys have been at the heart of it. So Anne and I have made <laughs> a small financial contribution towards them having a holiday. If you want to be part of that journey, because they're the ones leading us and guiding us, even if it's a pound, it's half an ice cream for the kids. I believe they gained somewhere in January for a few days. We've contributed towards that. Don't feel pressured, but if you feel you want to bless them, please just pour out your love. And even if you can't financially contribute, just support them and be with them. Now, now I'll preach after that. Yeah, see you later, Yif. <laughs> As many of you all know, I'm very rarely speechless, and so bear with me. But you know what, James, what you've just instigated is that I'm now going to pray on somebody to read the Bible. And so you can all blame James for this. Um, thank you. Mm, thank you. Um, wow. Brent, I'm going to pray on you a little bit. Come on. You've got a lovely voice. I feel like it's time to, for us all to be blessed by the oration of Brent. So I'm going to ask you, it's a long one, but I'm going to ask you to read the whole of Daniel 4 for us. Um, it's in the New King James, Tanya. Sorry I didn't give it to you in advance. Fantastic. I'm just going to compose myself. That's okay. Hi, everyone. As you might know, I'm Brent. I'm going to read to you today. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 4. So if you'd like to follow along, that would be fantastic. So, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs! And how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions 
of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might take, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians, sorry, then the magicians, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of God, the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound it with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts. On the grass of the earth, let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watches and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Daniel explains the second dream. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished. For a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew, sorry, which grew and became strong, whose height 
reached to the heavens with which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was, all, was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven and their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leaves, leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation. O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat like grass, like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times seven shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you have come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power, and for honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning the Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And... At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth no one can restrain his hand or say to him what have you done 
At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was sorry, that's restored. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of those whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in, his, in pride, he is able to put down. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Brent. That was a marathon, but you did it. <clears throat> Come on. Hasn't you got a great voice, everybody? Come on. Great orator's voice. Come on. Ah, I love that we are reading so much scripture at the moment. It's a really, really good thing, guys. If you're not reading scripture, then do it more. That's a really good thing to do. If you want really simple strategies on how to do it, then talk to me and I'll give you some ideas. But here we find a fascinating dynamic. Because this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. It's not Daniel's account of Nebuchadnezzar's story. It's Nebuchadnezzar's account. And the thing I want to start with that's really fascinating when you look at verse 1 is that it starts off with essentially a heathen king, an ungodly man, a worshipper of other gods, declaring a testimony of how good God is. That's how it starts. How does that happen? It happens through an encounter with the true living God. And I, if you know me at all, I'm a bit of an obsessor with testimony. I, we get, in our staff team meetings, we share testimonies. In our online small groups, we share testimonies. Why? Because it edifies and uplifts each other, yes, but also it gives glory to God in all things. And, you know, you've probably heard this story before, but when me and Ashley were on honeymoon, we sat down and we, we started to write a book. And, and in our writing of our book, we were just writing down, first of all, all the obvious testimonies. And so we sat and we wrote down like the, the ones where it was like clear God had moved, like the ones that are really in your face testimonies. And then I was like, God, glory to your name. Look at what you've done in, in the time of our engagement. As we reflect on the 10 months we were engaged, look at what you have done. And God was like, you're not giving me glory for everything. So, okay, God, what's the other thing? So then we started to look for the unobvious things. So the things where maybe, we so for example, some crazy things, we had people who worked for the government of Jersey, which is where Ashley's from, they were going off and they were finding wildflowers and ivy and collecting it all for our wedding. Just think about that for a second, that's a bit weird. Me and Ashley, we're not like, other than being like, you know, sons and daughters of the living God and, and royalty in that respect, to them, like, we're nobody. And yet we had people who were employed by the states and the government of Jersey going around Jersey in vans collecting stuff so that the vision we had for our wedding, it wasn't even God's vision for our wedding, but the vision we had, because we wanted to have like this outside, inside, wintertime kind of vibe and we were getting married. Our reception was in a vineyard and we dressed the whole ceiling in ivy. And we'd have never been able to afford that. And God knew that, so he basically used people who we had no idea who they were turning up with van loads of ivy, with trees. This was nuts. Ashley was like, I want some trees indoors. I want it to feel like a forest. And then suddenly they start turning up and they're like, well, I don't know if you needed these, but we've got these saplings we're about to be planting in the spring, but they're in storage at the moment and they just kind of like doing nothing. Do you want some trees inside your venue? That's pretty cool, huh? Right? And God hears these things. And so God 
releasing things through that. And then I was like writing this all in the book, and I was like, God, you're amazing, you're glorious. And he was like, yeah, I'm not finished yet. And so then we started writing down the things, that, like in Hebrews 11 says, the things unseen. The things where actually God had done things that we hadn't acknowledged or seen to make things the way he wanted them to be for us. And we ended up with this humongous kind of like dossier of just testimonies of what God had done. And, and I'm a true believer in the fact that we should take time to acknowledge what God has done in our lives. But how much more incredible is it that a heathen, idol-worshipping king encounters God to an extent that he testifies that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that God is above all things, that God is all-powerful. Isn't that extraordinary? And, and it starts to tell me something, that actually maybe we need to get better at sharing what God is doing in our lives so that we can create a culture around us that when people come into contact with us and experience us, they themselves start to experience God's goodness in their own lives to the point they start to be able to acknowledge who's it from. Because you will know when something good happens in your life, you know where it came from. Because you know God. When something good happens in the life of somebody who's not a believer yet, because of their proximity to you, how are they going to know who to glorify unless we're telling them? And so if we build culture of testimony in our lives and just thanksgiving in our lives, because, you know, it's, and I know we're all very English, most of us, but for those of us in the room who are North Americans, you'll have had a really good time this week giving thanks for all the things that God has done in your life. I know a few of the people in the church have gathered to have a thanksgiving celebration this week. We should give thanks more. Yeah? There's a little bubbling around the room going, yeah, 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 I agree. We should give thanks more. Nebuchadnezzar has an encounter with God and through Daniel knows exactly where it comes from and therefore gives glory to him. Then, as we go on, and this is just to repeat a bit of a statement about what Timmy said the other week, we find this, this change has gone on with how Daniel is named. Because you see, when Daniel was in exile and came to Babylon, he was given a new name, Belteshazzar. And Belteshazzar, as Timmy told us the other week, which I won't repeat it because I can't fully remember it, but it was a name that basically meant, instead of Daniel, which means God has judged, it meant basically the same but opposite as under the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar's God, the God of Babylon. It was like a re-association of identity attempt in the, let's call it the emasculation of the Jews who were being brought into exile, was to rename them and give them new identity in alignment to gods that weren't the God of Israel. And so Daniel finds himself in this new name, Belteshazzar, that is forcing him through attempts to submit to the identity that this other God is trying to give him. And we find Daniel on this journey where all the way through he's proving that that identity is entirely wrong. Because at no point does Daniel submit to the judgment of that God. The whole way through, Daniel is a, like a stand-up kind of indicator to the glory of God. He is a, um, a signpost to who God is, and he is a representative of the true living God in all ways. And so he is fulfilling his name under God and not under that land. Now, this is interesting that the Babylonians attempted to destroy the identity of the Jews and turn them into subservience to their culture and to their kingdom. And even in doing that, it says that Daniel um, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were given their new names, they were placed under the care of the head eunuch. 
Now, therefore, you could probably argue that it's very likely that they therefore became eunuchs, which quite literally means they were emasculated. Their ability to reproduce was removed. And they were given a new identity so that they were meant to produce after the new identity. That's like as extreme as you can get indoctrination into an other culture and kingdom, isn't it? But then we find Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego all living these journeys where they're refusing to come under the spirit of that kingdom and existing in the spirit of the kingdom and understanding that the kingdom is far greater than this kingdom. And so even if their bodies are mutilated, their names are changed, their situation is changed and transformed, they are still within a higher power. And so in the physical they may be relocated. They may be called a different name. They may have all these things happen to them. In the supernatural, they're living in a higher realm. And actually, they know that this body is a carnal thing that is going to pass away. But in the supernatural realm, they are eternal in their perspective. How many of us have felt emasculated in our faith? How many of us have felt emasculated in our identity? Told with something that we know we're not, told that we can't do something, that we're, our mouths are muted, that all these things happen. We've great challenge ahead of us. And yet we find in Daniel this hope of somebody who can stand up for who he is despite whatever happens to him, no matter what the risk in front of him. It's funny, isn't it, that Daniel doesn't get removed from the trial. When Nebuchadnezzar is sending off his forces to go and kill every single eunuch, every single soothsayer, every single diviner, every single witch, warlock, whatever. Whenever he's sending, they're all going off. And Daniel, it sounds from that story that there's been a massacre. Because Daniel gets talked to quite late on. They come and find him. And Daniel's like, okay, can you just give me a chance to interpret this dream first? He doesn't say, I'm going to leg it. He doesn't actually remove himself from the danger. He goes, God... I'm going to speak your voice. And he does it, even with the risk in place. He ends up in the lion's den. But God shuts the mouths of the lions. You see, when we're walking this journey of life, if we stand in our true identity of who we're called to be and understand that we are under the authority of heaven, then actually we can live in a position where it may look in the natural that there's some dangers coming our way. There's some challenges coming our way. There's some trials coming our way. But actually when we're thrown into the furnace that killed the guards that threw them in, we don't have any evidence of smoke on us. We don't have any evidence of fire on us. That our bodies and our garments are cool to touch. And not only that, we get an encounter where we walk with one who looks like a son of God in the fire. Isn't that extraordinary? And so it doesn't matter if someone tells you are something that you're not. You know who you are. There's that line in a song that says, I know who I am because the I am tells me who I am. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Just remember that. I know who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Teachers are great at telling you who you are. Bosses are great at telling you who you are. Neighbors, friends, relatives are great at trying to tell you who you are. But none of them are God. None of them created you. None of them have a right to define you. So live in your identity. And then something happens when Daniel's approached by Nebuchadnezzar to share the dream. It says that he was troubled in his thoughts. And Nebuchadnezzar says to him, do not be troubled. Be at peace. Now, what it doesn't say is that Daniel received peace from Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I actually 
want to take a bit of poetic license here and maybe rephrase this as, as I do not think, knowing who Daniel was, knowing how he operated, that he was troubled by the dream and afraid to deliver it. I don't think that's who he was. I don't think he demonstrated at any point in anywhere up to Daniel 4 an ability to be governed by fear of man. Would you agree with that? It was like he was allergic to it. And so what does this look like then? Troubled. Well, maybe we should rephrase this as the fear of the Lord came upon him. Because you see, Daniel wasn't afraid to present Nebuchadnezzar with an interpretation for his dream. He already had the interpretation. But in the awe of that dream, what we see God establishing in that moment is God showing himself to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God showing himself to be the one who will overthrow dignities with no effort really at his arm, but only the truth of him standing. If you hear that stuff then, and you truly are a worshiper of God, then you will be impacted by the fear of the Lord. I think actually in this moment when Daniel saw the dream and got his interpretation of the dream that he was drawn to a place of pure worship. Because in the presence of God's justice, there is fear of the Lord. And in that place, I believe Daniel was in a place of worship. Not tension, but acknowledgement of who God is. And then we go on to verse 25. It says, they shall drive you from, the, from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar is being humbled here. God is establishing who the boss is. He's establishing who's in charge. He's establishing a hierarchy here. He's saying, you're, if you're not careful, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to become like a beast. All of your rights in humanity that I gave you in the first place through Adam as a steward of the earth, as a leader, as a namer, as all these things, I can take that away from you. And I can make you like a beast. I can make you look like an eagle. I can make you have claws like a bird. I can make you be unable to communicate with your people and throw you away. Because I am Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's humbling him because God is greater And then as he's humbled, in verse 34 and 35, it says this. So, and at that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. What does it say in the Bible? It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. When we look to heaven, even when we are very aware of the fact that we've just been humbled, there's no justice in God's response to us. But what happens here is an act of mercy. And my understanding returned to me. Let me tell you something. You do not need understanding to turn your heart to God. You don't need academic prowess to be able to approach him. You don't need... Now, I'm saying this as someone who has a theology degree. You do not need a theology degree to read the Bible. You don't need to go to seminary to preach the word. You do not need to get the accolades of man in order to fulfill God's plan of being disciples of all nations and evangelizing. You don't need that stuff. Now, some of us will be called to do that stuff and God will ordain it. That's important. But stop doubting your ability because you don't think you're intelligent enough. Because also intelligence is entirely founded on our cultural understanding of what intelligence is. 
there's a whole load of people who have believed, because they, especially probably around my age group and older, who believe they're unintelligent because we grew up in an educational system that was not able to educate in the way we needed to know. There's so much study going on into ADHD, for example, how actually there's like loads of people across generations who were told that they were stupid, that they weren't able to pay attention, that they weren't able to do the things purely because they did not fit the grid. Yeah, come on, uh, me too. Like, and I know there's other people in the room as well who have been told all these things over the years that they do not fit the box, therefore they're not intelligent. Like, we need to get out of the box. I think, by the way, I think ADHD is a superpower, not just because I think I have it, but because I think actually there are some incredible people in this world who've done incredible things who journey with ADHD. It's not, it's not a curse. And, but this is the deal. We need to understand that our intelligence, our ability to cognitively understand something is not required for our hearts to turn to God. Because it says here, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and then my understanding returned. And this isn't a bash on intelligence. You can be intelligent. That's allowed, okay? Make intelligent choices. That's good. But God doesn't need your intelligence to come to him. He needs your heart. He needs your heart to turn to him. Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven and his understanding returned to him and he blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. And as it says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? What does that read like? God is good and he is big and he is powerful and no one can tell him what to do. But also, I think that sounds really like another verse in the Bible. Let's turn to that. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Get out, Misha. For unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isn't it interesting how in Isaiah we're prophesying the coming of Jesus? And next Sunday, by the way, marks the beginning of Advent. And we're going to be really digging deep into that. So we're going to have some fun this Advent. But we're in a place now where we're getting ready for Christmas. We're decorating something's brewing tomorrow. It's going to be great. We're getting ready for Christmas. We're getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And here we have a king learning something here. He is learning that his kingdom is much smaller than his kingdom, that his government comes from one place alone and is given freely by one place, but also can be taken away by one place, by the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And then it goes on and it just says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down, because order has been restored here. God's Perfect order has been restored here. 
God is moving in this moment and replacing the things that man has tried to put in place and bringing his truth. Now let's jump back to Isaiah verse. I want to keep this very simple, but the first thing is, for onto us, onto us, onto me and you, onto Christians, onto Jews, onto Arabs, onto every nation, every colour, every creed, every people group on the planet, us, humanity, a child is born. He was born into humanity. Onto us, a son is given. Why is that important? The child of God, or as C.S. Lewis said this, the son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. We needed a child, perfect, spotless, to be given for us. And at that, a son. Why? The one who carries the inheritance, the one who carries the kingdom to be brought for us so that in him coming to the earth and the good news of the gospel being released, we as the children of God could be turned away from our sin and into freedom. I'll repeat that C.S. Lewis quote again. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of man could become the sons of God. And in this respect, women, you are also sons. Because it's really important here that you understand that actually it says that we are co-heirs in Christ. Which means in the model that God released into family of the firstborn son being the the one who receives inheritance, all of us have become the firstborn son through the power of the cross. Which is extraordinary. I just want to jump very briefly into Romans 13, 1 to 7. I'm just going to see if I've still got to open my laptop. Yeah, I do. Where's it gone? Has it disappeared? Oh, no. Here we go. Um, Romans, Romans 13, and then verse 1. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and authorities exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath upon him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you will also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Right, so why did I bring that verse in? Because all of, some of you have immediately gone, oh, where's this going? Let me say something. Government is really important. Even if we don't like them, even if we don't think they're godly, even if they make really, really stupid choices, government's important. And that is God's model. He establishes government. But as we see here with Nebuchadnezzar, it's not Daniel who overthrows government. It's not Daniel who rebukes Nebuchadnezzar. It's God. 
And I think there's something in this day and age where we, as Christians, we're quite empowered to be like the world. And what do I mean by that? We're empowered to be individualistic with our choices. And that might feel a little bit crazy to say that, because what am I saying? That you're not allowed to make choices for yourself? Absolutely. But I want to change that slightly. You're allowed to make choices through God for yourself. Because the Lord talks a lot about how we should obey him and love him. And in that, he will release his love to us. And so within that, I think sometimes with our individualistic choices, we like to, let's, let's throw some ideas out there. You do some work and someone pays you in cash. Do you pay taxes on it? Or do you think, oh, I'm going to just keep that to one side for me? You know, the taxman doesn't need to know about that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm under the law of God, not the law of this land, because, you know, this, this, this is a heathen politics at the moment. You know, I don't really think Rishi Sunak deserves my money, so I'm going to keep it for myself. But then we go into church on a Sunday, and we pay our offering, and we go, I'm expecting God to bless me. And then things aren't going right, and we're running out of money, and it feels like we've got a hole in our bucket, and we're going, God, why are you forsaken me? Why are you doing this to me? Why aren't you not favoring me? I've had prophetic words saying that I'm going to be favored by man and favored by God, so I'm going to receive all the money, and I'm going to receive blessing, I'm going to receive all this stuff. And he's looking down at you and going, but you're dishonoring my government that I've established. That's an interesting one to swallow when we think about that God establishes all government. But what about Hitler? What about the Nazis? What about da-da-da-da-da? You know, they are all held accountable to God because God really knows about how to do accountability as he demonstrated with Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes there's mysteries. In our need to understand the mysteries of God, we make rules for ourselves that God never put in place. All he's asking us to do is to walk in obedience. And so what we do in obedience is we give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. How many of us like following the speed limit on the road? I'm just going to let that one bubble for a second. Just because you can choose doesn't mean you should. I was talking to someone yesterday, actually. We took Patch for a walk in a park yesterday, and there was someone there with an XL bully, which was the most beautiful, gorgeous gentle giant you'll ever have seen but you'll know that our government have made that an illegal breed now I was having an interesting chat with the owner because they were saying what a lot of people are saying which is it's not about the breed's fault it's about the owners and how they use the dogs and we were we were just chatting away and thought it was like quite an interesting comparison because you know why don't they therefore only sell cars make all cars illegal that can go above 70 miles an hour because everyone knows the people who are speeding are making a choice to speed. The people who are raising these dogs as powerful, dangerous animals are making a choice to do so. We have choices to make. We are powerful people with our own choices. Nebuchadnezzar was presented with a choice. Because Daniel says to him, look, I think you need to sort your life out. You've had this dream. It's a warning. It's very clearly a warning. So Nebuchadnezzar, you need to live your life a certain way. You need to be righteous. You need to give unto God. And we find a year later, Nebuchadnezzar's walking around. What's he doing? He's going, look at my kingdom. Look at how I have grown this. Look at how I provide for all these people. Look how glorious I am. Is it not all to my glory that I have done all of this? And then what happens? God slaps him down. And I wonder whether for all of us, whether actually when we're walking around in life, 
do we just need to check ourselves and say, am I living in pride of what I have done with what God has given me and turning that into a very close to testimony? Look at what God has done through me. I am his vessel. Sounds very humble. But it's a very close jump to he needs me to do what he's doing. Or are we saying, look at what God has done. Full stop. (laughs) When God blesses us, is it to glorify us or is it to glorify him? Because it doesn't say, for unto us a child is born so that we can all have a never-ending government, so that we can have a kingdom that will never stop expanding, so that we can, through our own zeal, perform this. But it says this, that of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He is always bigger than the worst of governments. He is capable of overcoming the evil we're seeing in the world at the moment. He is able to still pour out a blessing upon Israel despite Hamas. He is still capable of pouring out a blessing on Palestine despite Hamas. He is still able, because he's not afraid of these governments with a small g, because he has the government with a big g. I'll skip this a little bit, but I was going to talk about sexual passion, which now you're just going to be very, very sad you're missing out on that bit, so I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> so the word zeal, like you can look it up, but the word zeal is also translated as a Hebrew word that means sexual passion. And so I'll let you guys all go away and do a Bible study on that. But the zeal of the Lord, the passion, the drive, the jealousy of the Lord will establish this. He, we are entering into an Advent season where we can live in hope and freedom, and joy, and expectation, and blessing, and breakthrough, where we can see our families, and our neighbours, and our whole communities touched by the love of God, because his zeal will establish this. We just need to get on board with his momentum, and get off of our own, and get out of the way of his plans. All week I've had Handel's Messiah going around my head, Especially the bit was saying, and he will reign forever and ever. And we're going to actually listen to it in a second. But I want to tell you the story of how Handel composed Handel's Messiah. And so it was in the 1700s, and church composition had become a little bit of a kind of twee thing. Basically, there was composing in the Romantic period, around, well, the Baroque period around then, which was very church-focused. Why? Because people gathered at church. That was communally normal in Europe. You gathered around church. And so all these composers were writing songs, biblically-based songs, but writing them for the audience, not for God. And, and you find Handel in this crazy mash of what's going on in society composing Handel's Messiah and and it's at a time where you've got this real split between Italian Christianity predominantly Catholicism and Protestantism, Protestantism going on in the world and and glorifying God beyond church and state was an unusual thing but Handel firstly quite controversially decided that he was going to compose a piece to glorify God and God alone, but also the very first time he was going to perform it was going to be in Dublin 
in Ireland. A German composer who had Europe at his feet chose to go to Dublin, to a small church, to perform Handel's Messiah for the first time. And how he wrote it was, it took him 24 days to write it, which if you have ever tried to write a classical piece of music, which I'm sure everybody in the room has done so, um, you'll understand that 24 days is an extraordinarily short amount of time. Yeah? Some of you nodding? Hey, I, I have an A-level in music, and we did classical composition, and I sucked at it, okay? It was hard work. And when you're talking a choral piece where you've got, like, literally 16 vocal parts plus orchestral things, 24 days is insane for writing it. And, you know, it all came off the back of Handel fasting and praying. And he wrote it in 24 days where he basically didn't eat or drink. He just prayed. And it says this. While writing the Hallelujah Chorus, Handel's servant discovered him with tears in his eyes and Handel exclaimed, I did think I did, think I did see he heaven before me and the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels surrounding him. He had an encounter with the throne room of heaven that led to one of the most famous choral pieces of music in all time that's been played all over the world. It's actually more interestingly was written for Easter, but it's become a Christmas piece of music. And as we come to a land in this journey, I'm going to play it. I want you to listen to the words, and then for those of you who can't understand the words, I'll repeat them back to you afterwards. But it's really important that we grab hold of the fact that he will reign forever and ever. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We may have identity, we may have royalty, we may have position in his kingdom, but let us never ever forget where it's come from and who it sits under. And actually our little kingdoms that we get to grow are for the glory of one person alone, and that is for him. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, are we going to display him to the world, or are we going to display our filtered him to the world, so that we get a little bit of the glory on the side? All right. Let me see if I can get this to work, because I'm also our sound engineer today.
Come on, isn't that beautiful? So in case you didn't get it in the repetition, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah, for the Lord God, God omnipotent reigneth. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of this world has become his and he will reign forever and ever. Because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And, you know, it's interesting, I think the last time publicly this was played at a massive gathering was the coronation of King Charles. And a lot of people will have heard that and maybe thought, oh, it's a nice song to sing about a king. Not realising it's a song about the king. And actually, it's become synonymous with things like coronations because actually, I think there's something that's understood in royalty. They were only put there by him. We're only sustained there by him. And it's all for him anyway. And so today, with that ringing in your ears, I want all of you to all week long have that song in your, in your head and in your ears so you understand that it's all for him. It's all by him. And it's all under him. And as you walk, you do so with that. And so for ministry today, really, there's a few things. Number one is we're actually going to take up the offering as we finish. And so I'm just going to ask Tony to put the QR code up there. And there's a basket here if you want to give by cash today. And the reason I waited till the end, and I'm going to put it over on this side here, is because, not because I want you all to be convinced to give into the offering, because I've told you you have to give on to Caesar what is Caesar's and all that kind of stuff. However, if there's anything in your life that you do not have in alignment with him, and usually, let's be honest, it's finance then there's an opportunity if you get yourself right with him today. We've been talking a lot with our global leadership of Catch the Fire about how do we best align ourselves as a church moving forward. And talking about, you know, what does it mean to tithe to Catch the Fire Global? And, you know, often it's easy in structural things to view it as like a membership fee. That you come to church and you pay your membership fee into the offering so that you can continue coming to church. And some sort of, let's be honest, dark ages ritual of payment into the kingdom. But the payment's already been paid by him. The reason we give is because God has given us what we have. And then we've been asked by scripture to return to him our tithes. And so our values for offerings are simply this. Return to him something of what he's already given you in the first place whatever that looks like for you. And so you can do that digitally or you can do that here. So that's one. The other thing is also to submit ourselves to him. In pre-service prayer, I believe a lot of the prayer was about sacrifice, about laying ourselves down at the altar of God and saying, God, I'm going to lay myself in front of you and let your kingdom and your glory come. I heard a preacher the other day where the preacher said this, do you want to know if you've got any idols in your life? Look at what you're unable to lay down at the altar. What does that mean? Look at the things you're not willing to give over to God. Look at the things you want to take control of in your own life. They're probably idols. And so we're going to submit to him. And then we're going to pursue him. And what that looks different for all of us. But I think simply that we never ever want to be in a situation like Nebuchadnezzar. Where we say, look at what I have done with my life. Look at what I have done. You know, God hasn't blessed you with what you've got so that you can do something with it. He has blessed you with what you've got so that he can do something with it in you. 
Bill Johnson says this, and I'll close with this. God is far more capable of working with the 90% than you are with the 100%. And so it's not about the offering, but it's symbolic of us getting ourselves to a place of submission to him. And so really this morning, as we land, and I know there was notices and stuff that I was meant to do and I never did, and really the most important one is that we have corporate prayer after the service up at our coffee shop, something's brewing, that you're all very welcome to come and join. Um, and so it's up the hill. There's a few good things about that. Number one, we're praying. and We're going to see God do stuff because he loves it when we pray and when we ask him to move and shift and do things. And so we're all going to go together up there and pray. The other good thing as well is that the heating's working up there, whereas it doesn't seem to be so good down here. And so in the way that some of you with your coats on and all snuggled up, um, we're going to get a warm-up, look at something's brewing. And also there's really good coffee. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Or tea for those of you who don't drink coffee. Or hot chocolate. But anyway, I digress. The point is this. We're going to head up there and we're going to pray in a second. But before we do so, let's just land and CD so you know kids can totally come in and invade. Thank you for hovering at the side. I saw you. But I know there's some people in the room, you know you are ministry team. If that is you, then please grab your badge from the front. But I think really this morning actually is about us personally coming to God and just saying, God, I'm just submitting everything to you. For some of us, it might be just, uh, I really want to make sure. You know, I, as a teenager, um, I'm pretty sure I responded to about 15 different altar calls just to make sure. You know, I was like, I really want to make sure I'm saved. Well, today I think it's, let's just really make sure that we're fully submitted to him, right? We're really submitted to him and his plan so that we can say, I am a king or I am a queen, that we can say I am royalty, but understanding that we're under his royalty, that we're in the court of the king with a big K. And so in that, we submit to him. And so I think really that looks like a practical response. So we're going to sing. I can hear you noodling around the hallelujah chorus. That's great. Come on. So good, isn't he? And so really we're going to just do that make space at the front for you to, and whatever it looks like for you, to come and just kneel before him and say, God, I understand my position here. Would you be King of Kings and Lord of Lords over all of me and show me where I need to downgrade myself a little bit and put you back at the top so that I don't ever have to walk a journey like Nebuchadnezzar with enforced humility but I get to walk in your kingdom in truth. Amen? So I'm going to pray and then just invite you guys to come forward when you're ready. But Father, I thank you. I will also just to say before I pray for like, hey, there's a microphone ready for you up there. You just flick it on, it'll work. Why don't you just reach your hands to heaven? God, today we say you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords. That you are good that you are God, that you are over us and above us and we trust you. 
And we ask, would you establish your governance over us in greater measure? Would you establish your kingdom over us in greater measure? That as we enter into this Advent season, that we would be marked and we'd remember Advent 2023 as the year that we've truly understood our positioning in your kingdom. That God, you would come with power that we've never seen before. That you'd come with might that we've never seen before. That God, that as those around us get affected by your kingdom through us, that they would know who to acknowledge by who we say you are God never for our own glory but for yours and Father we ask would you pour out your power pour out your might upon us God would you bless something's brewing as we as we have carols playing and we have Christmas music playing God would you allow people to enter into that place hear the hallelujah chorus and feel a hallelujah start to rise up in their instincts of their hearts because they know who they were created by and the creator is calling them home and so Father we ask right now would you pour out your power would you pour out your might would you pour out your blessing would you would you remove everything of the tree we've built ourselves and have we established your tree in our lives in Jesus mighty name and all God's people said amen amen come on when you're ready come forward and then once you've done that and you've dealt with yourself with God then head up to something's brewing and we'll pray some more but bless you guys and for those of you online thank you for joining us today online bless you lay it down wherever you are at home and pick him up in Jesus mighty name and we'll see you online next Sunday bless you bye bye And thank you, everybody. Come and just be with him. Amen.